0: This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. In, sitting in front of me today is Tom Mann, who is an investment professional from uh, the Schroder's Quantitative Equity Products team. Uh, privileged to have this conversation with you. Welcome, Tom. Thanks very much, Condi. Good to be here. Excellent. Uh, We're quite fortunate today uh, in that it is the 8th of May, 2019, and it happens to be Election Day in South Africa. Um, It's a pity that I'm not back home, but uh, Tom, nonetheless, uh, it's great to have a chat with you. Thank you. So I would like to have a chat with you today around a a number of things. So... equity markets have ran quite hard first quarter of 2019 off the back of a fairly dismal last quarter of 2018 uh lots going on economically uh i guess top of mind at the moment would be the u.s china trade wars lots of tweeting by donald trump uh, again he's staying true to form uh, and that's
1: obviously impacting markets just some thoughts from you around around that sure um so, I think first of all, a couple of things with the way that we do things in QEP. Um, in QEP, quantitative quantitative equity products, we are bottom-up stock pickers. So, we're fundamentally minded investors who bring the best of human being and human beings' ability to solve unstructured problems, together with a computer and the computer's ability to highlight. Um, investment opportunities across a universe of 15,000 stocks based upon what we tell um, the computer. But the important point is that we are bottom-up stock pickers based upon the attributes of the individual companies. So in terms of a trade war and what that necessarily could mean for companies themselves, so the first thing we see um, is company valuations changing because stock prices react very quickly to the news of, for example, the trade war or of an additional tariff being contemplated by the by the Trump administration um, and what's I think important for us to build to figure out is do we actually follow that particular valuation signal that we're getting um, on that particular company or is there something with regard to if there is going to be a tariff that is going to change that company's particular um, business model right. and we tend to pick that information up in the, the financial statements of the companies themselves. You can tell companies which should, you know, expose to, let's say, the winds of global trade because their returns on capital tend to be more volatile. So we tend to evaluate those quality and valuation signals well in any event. So in summary, um, we have areas of the market that are getting cheaper. In some instances, that represents an opportunity for us to top up positions. In other instances where those businesses would be affected by, let's say, a tariff um, on their products or services, um, then we need to be a a little bit more cautious.
0: Right. And I guess it would be a similar approach to, for example, Brexit. Yes, absolutely. Quite similar approach. Okay, you mentioned that there may be, for example, certain areas that are getting cheaper. Where are you guys seeing that happening at the moment?
1: So, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's one area which we think has been which has been cheap and we think unjustifiably cheap for a while now Mm -hmm. Um, and this would be within let's say areas of more boring US technology companies Um, these are let's say not not your current social media companies which have seen their share prices rally up strongly Um, this would be let's say chip manufacturers um, in uh, in the US etc which haven't seen the same run up in their share prices as social media companies Um, But their earnings have developed in in many instances instances quite well. Um, So for that, um, that represents a a strong investment opportunity for us. And we've expressed that in the portfolios um, um, over the last number of years. And in some instances, that has paid off um, relatively handsomely. The other side of that, um, I would say, is where are we seeing areas in the market that looks expensive? Mm. And we found... um, Markets over the last number of years have become increasingly focused. Um, and to use a technical term, we find that the breadth is actually narrowing and diminishing. Breadth we define as the number of names, in individual names in a particular market, that are driving the market higher. And what's been happening, particularly in the U.S. market, is it's been a smaller number of names that have actually been leading the market higher. So the breadth has, has diminished those Small number of names, particularly in let's say us new technology mm-hmm. um, have becoming have become markedly more um, expensive than the rest of the market. but therein lies the opportunity as well. there is a substantial amount that is being let's say neglected by the market and I would you know bring you back to the duller areas of technology in general um, right. around the world, um, companies which have been overlooked and appear more cheap on valuation.
0: So what are the implications of that type of a scenario that you've painted f- for investors? Does that mean that they need to take a much more patient approach? Because obviously, if, while you see the value there, there needs to be some sort of a catalyst that unlocks that value. Um, so I guess the one question is how must investors approach this? And secondly, what do you envisage these catalysts would be that would, that would lead to that value unlock?
1: Sure. I think there's a number of aspects we need to um, consider there. I think the first is you know we would obviously encourage patients and there's there's an important reason why is we find historically when we look at the data that when value does outperform it tends to do so in a in a relatively narrow window so if you're not positioned for it you could very well end up missing the first let's say 50% of a 100% rally to use a, a general ex- example um, in general you, you may not be able to move that quickly and 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 get exposure to to this so we find that you know we would recommend being positioned for the particular um, for the you know for, for value to perform well I think the other thing i'd say is um, we would caution against looking for a catalyst um, we could draw attention to let's say some of the catalysts which have worked in previous um, value rally. So, for example, back in 2003, 2004, there was a large global economic upswing, which generally tends to help value esque companies. So, for example, if you think about, an, a, let's say, take for example, a European chemicals company, um, these companies tend to be highly operationally geared in that their profits are very, very sensitive to. A small increase in revenue. So, for example, if revenue goes up ten percent, you could find the profits increase by twenty-five, thirty percent. Right. Now, a, a strong economic environment is very, very helpful for those kind of companies, and that's one of the reasons why they performed so strongly in in um, the previous um, value rally from two thousand and three to, through to two thousand and six. Um, however, I would also caution and say that it could very well be different this time around. You know, we're n- most certainly not seeing the large amount of let's say the, the, a strong global upswing um, in the economy, growth does to us seem more tepid right. um, um, Having said that, um, mergers and acquisition activity is another indicator that you might that you might look for. Um, and we do see that coming through from time to time as well in markets that we are and um, that we're looking at. Once again, these are industrial companies looking at their competitors trading cheaply and the best thing that they the best investment they can make is for them to actually buy their competitors.
0: Right. Yeah, very, very interesting point. The other element that you spoke about that QEP follows is you, you look at value, uh, valuation, and you also look at quality. Correct. Perhaps you can just explain to our listeners how you define quality and and secondly, why quality is so important.
1: Sure. So we define quality by looking at four individual factors. So first of all, we look at profitability. And by profitability, we generally look at the return that a company makes on its capital employed. So the analogy is to think if I I invest $100 in this business and in my first year of operation it gives me $20 worth of profit, that's a 20% return on capital. That would be a high quality business. A low quality business would be one where you invest $100 of capital and it earns you $2 profit in the first year. That's a 2% return on capital. There you're not even covering your cost of capital in terms of maybe interest payments or dividends to your investors. So that's number one, profitability, mainly measured by return on capital. The next thing we look at is stability. Um, How stable is that return on capital over time? How stable is the business? Um, What we'd like to avoid is a company which, um, for example, we could look at global mining companies, for example, tend to be relatively volatile in their returns on capital. When the commodity prices are strong, they produce very, very strong returns on capital. However, when they're weak, they end up even being loss-making. Um, so, stability would be something which we would, which you know, low stability um, would be something we would avoid. Um, the next element we look at is the balance sheet to see how much debt the company has um, on its balance sheet, mainly because you can take a, a good, strong, high-quality business and um, If you leverage up the balance sheet too much, take on too much debt, you can put that business at risk. Um, So balance sheet and financial strength is something which we pay an enormous amount of attention to, particularly now because we are very well aware of the build-up, let's say, of debt in large parts of the global economy. The final thing we look at for quality is governance. And we're referring here to corporate governance. How well is the company governed? Um, this actually plays really well to return generation over time. We find that governance has a big impact on the returns that the investors will actually realize in quality companies. And it's probably best to think of it as um, the governance framework sets the framework by which the company allocates its capital. If you're good at allocating capital as a company, your returns on capital tend to be high. They tend to be stable. And the balance sheet tends to be conservatively funded Um, so that you don't get, you know, let's say a debt-fueled blow-up, governance being very, very important um, for for that aspect. So at the end of it, if you look at, you know, what the kind of businesses that we're trying to target, it will be profitable, stable, strong balance sheet, good governance structure. And we find by looking at history and how those companies have performed, they have performed very, very well indeed um, and have delivered – Um, investors' strong returns um, over this time. I think it's important also to characterize that as quality and not as growth. It's relatively easy to grow, but you can grow grow badly. We're not concerned with growth. We're concerned with quality.
0: Okay. I guess the follow-up question to that would be everyone would be wanting to buy stocks that exhibit those kind of characteristics.
1: Would those positive elements not already be factored into the price sure and this is be. this is where you have to be careful with quality because if you think of a high quality business those businesses tend to be relatively rare um, it's difficult to generate high returns on invested capital over long periods of time because economics tells us that those high returns get competed away right you know external um, competitors will look at those high returns and go well, if they're making those high returns, I'm going to earn those high returns as well. You we have capital enter the industry, and those returns get competed down. So high-returning return returning companies tend to be quite rare, so you need to be very careful for the valuation that you pay for those shares. And what we found, particularly from our research, is something to avoid is overpaying for quality. We specifically avoid expensive quality in our investment process because, according to our research, we find that this overpaying for high quality actually loses you money in the long term. What we're ideally looking to do in our portfolios is to get high quality at as cheap a valuation as we can get it. Now, those instances are rare. right? Um, but what we also find is paying market-like valuations for high quality is also a strategy which also produces positive returns um, over the long term. But it's important to make sure that you don't pay the most expensive valuations because that leads to longer-term underperformance, at least in, in terms of our research.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, sounds great in theory. Practically speaking now, where are you guys seeing opportunities? So without necessarily getting into specific names, so perhaps regionally, sectary, se- from a sector perspective, where are you guys seeing opportunities?
1: Sure. Well, I've mentioned the, the opportunity that we're seeing in, in the cheaper areas of, of technology in, in the United States. Right. Um, one thing I'd point out is that the United States has been a very, very strong stock market in general. Um, and it has outperformed um, most other stock markets worldwide um, over over the last, let's say, five to ten years. Because of that, it's looking more expensive on valuation. Um, so we're finding, um, when we look across the world, that we tend to find um, better valuation opportunities for decent quality businesses Outside of the outside of the United States, um, in um, in in the portfolio, for example, where we can invest in emerging markets, you know there are a number of emerging market names which we find um, attractive. Another sector which we think also looks attractive um, is healthcare. Healthcare companies mm. we think of as being very very high quality investments because they tend to be highly profitable, they tend to be stable. Um, and most of them tend to have relatively well-funded balance sheets. The ones that don't have well-funded balance sheets, we avoid. Um, those companies are looking cheap on our valuations at the moment. And so we find that we have a, uh, you know, a, a fair proportion of the portfolio's capital invested in those particular names. Okay.
0: Let's switch the discussion now more to the risk side of things. How do you guys approach that in your portfolio management?
1: So I'll try not to get too technical um, with this. Um, we use some advanced statistical techniques um, to evaluate risk and then to trade off risk versus return in the portfolio. So the first thing that we look at, and, and I'll deliberately try and keep this non-tech, non, non-technical, but what we're looking for is for something not to be risky, we want it to be statistically well-behaved. So it's not volatile. Um, and it tends to what we call mean revert. So it tends to follow its local market. That would be something which we would term um, well-behaved statistically. On the other hand, something which is highly risky is something which doesn't do that. And an example of that would, let's say, be a gold mining company, any global gold mining company, where um, they tend to be much more volatile than the the rest of the market. And in addition... um, they can underperform or outperform the market for long periods of time, you know, typically you know, three years or longer. They tend to go off on what we call random walks. So those would be things that which we term highly risky. When we invest in the portfolio, um, effectively the return signal that we get is a combination of value and quality. We then scale back, let's say, the position in the portfolio if we think um, that the company is particularly risky. So let's say, for example, let's use a hypothetical example of a of a gold company which we think looks good value and good quality. Um, however, we know that statistically they're not well behaved. So therefore, if we did want to buy a position, that overall position would be scaled back relatively significantly right. to take account of the risks okay. in the portfolio. Okay. The other thing I'd say is that, um, is that we have um, a specific approach to looking at um, clustering of, of companies. So if you bear with me for a minute, a lot of risk management in portfolios is done according to how much sector exposure do you have or how much exposure to a particular industry that you have. When you're looking at who defines those particular industry classifications, it's often an external benchmark provider who would provide those classifications. We in QEP find that there are some classifications that we don't agree with, and we therefore think it's optimal to produce our own classification system. Um, We have our own classification which looks at QEP business and business groups, and we also have a classification system called QEP risk groups, and that's where we effectively group stocks together, but based upon their risk characteristics. How have they behaved statistically over time? And we find that gives us a much better um, um, advantage in terms of actually analysing the risks in the portfolio at the time because we're not using an arbitrary grouping of stocks. We're using our own grouping, which we've done our own individual research on and found that this is the best individual grouping to have. And then what we do in the portfolio is we make sure that we... Um, limit taking too great an exposure or too small an exposure to those particular QEP risk groups. Those risk groups play a very, very important role of the management of risk in the portfolio.
0: Very interesting. Tom, you mentioned earlier on around the importance of governance in identifying what a quality company is. South Africa, we've had first-hand experience at poor governance and and the impact of of that on, on Sure. On, on share price performance. Um, sustainability is becoming higher uh, area of focus. Um, the other two elements of the ESG, uh, are the environmental and the social, so climate change, sure. and within the South African context, there's quite a number of social, social it's elements it's, that one course, needs, to, needs to factor in. How do you guys approach that in your...
1: So ESG is an incredibly important um, factor that we take into account in the investment of the portfolio. So, um, first of all, as you mentioned, G, the governance element, is specifically taken into account in our quality ranking. Um, For the other two factors, E and S, um, we found that probably the best way to use them, in fact, the best way to use them in the portfolio, is as a risk factor. So, for example, um, if you are a company which pollutes quite highly, let's say you have a very large CO2 footprint... Um, at some stage it is likely that it will become more and more expensive for you to to emit that level of CO2 um, as regulation tightens with regard to the amount of CO2 that you're actually um, allowed to um, to emit into the atmosphere. So therefore it could become likely that your business effectively runs out of road that you actually won't be able to carry on producing in the manner that you're producing without running into a very, very costly exercise to clean up your operation. So, you know, you can tell that you know, being bad on an environment on, on, on a scaling of environmental factors is a risk factor to the long term survival of your business. The same thing applies to the social and or societal um, factor, and there it's important because you know, we kind of think of, of S as being it's your license to operate as a business in a particular economy. You know, if you if you are not good, um, or let's say if you are bad um, on a social basis, let's say, for example, if you, if you employ child labour, for example, let's take an extreme example, um, at some stage your business is going to get shut down when you get found out. And it may be that you know, you're able to get away with it in the geography that you're actually producing. But once your customers find out that that's the means that you're using to produce, you won't have customers anymore so once again being bad on a social scale is is a, is a, is a significant risk factor risk, um yeah. and what we're working on in QEP at the moment is you know we've we've identified the risk but we've also now doing work on both the e and the s looking at the positive aspects of finding companies that are very very good environmentally and very very good societally um, where we think that this may actually present a payoff or potential return generator. Right. It's not in the portfolios at the moment, but this is work that we're doing.
0: So b- both sides of the coin. Both from sides the of the coin, yeah. Okay. Well, Tom, I'm, I'm afraid we've we've run out of time. Um, so thanks for, for fascinating insights. Into, it's pleasure. Into how you guys approach uh, managing money.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation. Any funds, services, or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.